This morning we'll be considering what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6. This blessing, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then this promise, for they shall be satisfied. C.S. Lewis once said, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I love that quote from Lewis, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There is a lot in this world that promises to satisfy us, but none can deliver on the promise. Not, not to satisfy our hearts at their deepest place and our deepest longing. Because God has written eternity on our hearts. And since he's done that, there is a lot in this world that seems like it would satisfy us. And then when we experience it, when we partake, in the end we conclude it's actually very dissatisfying. Our hearts hunger and thirst for a lot of things. We hunger and thirst for belonging and acceptance. We hunger and thirst for approval and justice and love and mercy. We hunger and thirst for purity and peace. The problem is that we look for nourishment in the wrong places. We are prone, as the prophet Jeremiah once said, to forsake God, the fountain of living waters, and make for ourselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. We try to satisfy ourselves with accomplishments. And then, when, when we fail to be satisfied, when the hunger comes back, when the thirst comes back, we just try to distract ourselves from the hunger, from those desires, maybe by binging our favorite forms of entertainment. But as long as inner hunger and thirst exist within us, we can know that we are alive and that we are potentially alive to God. Many of you are here this morning and you are hungry and thirsty and you're tired of drinking from broken cisterns. You're tired of junk food. You've tasted the various feasts that the world offers us, lays before us, and they just don't do it for you anymore. I remember the first time I felt this was my senior year of high school. I had essentially given my life spiritually, religiously to Jesus, but practically to sports and academics. Uh, I gave my life to it. I mean, it was, it was everything. It, it subsumed who I was as a person. Uh, didn't learn a lot of things because I was playing baseball or basketball. I, I cared most, not just about being a good student or being a good athlete, but, by being, but I cared most about being better than someone else. And there, there, was, there was gratification. There's gratification in being, being good at what you do. There, there's satisfaction in, in having a successful team and winning. There's satisfaction in being a good student, making good grades, and hearing time and time again, you can do whatever you want in this world. 
was satisfying for a while. I get to my senior year of high school and it hit me. This is, this is a race that doesn't have a finish line. It's basketball now, but when that ends, it will become something else. It's high school studies now, then it will become college studies, then it will become work and a job. And I realized that what I was chasing was not just success and accomplishments in what I was doing. I was chasing approval. I wanted my existence to be justified. I matter. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. I matter. Take me seriously. And I was a Christian, but I was still too immature in the faith to realize that my heart's deepest longings could only be satisfied by God himself. But this isn't a story where it's like, and now my life is way different. No, I experience these dissatisfactions every single week as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, and as a friend. My heart hungers and thirsts and aches for something more, to be a better version of myself, to, to continue to grow, to do what is right, to see what is right done in the world. And I try to find it sometimes in my own performance and what I can contribute. But when I look within myself and then I look out into the world, I just can't find the relief for my hungry heart. And you may be trying to satisfy the hunger of your heart with your job performance. Maybe with your wisdom or your knowledge or your relationships. But in the end, everything you grasp for that isn't God and his kingdom will turn to ashes in your hands and it will fade away and it won't be enough. Maybe you long for justice to be done in the world, but you're faced every day with new stories of exploitation and injustice. You, you, you read of more abortions conducted every single day in every state and you, you read of girls and boys who who are victims of sex trafficking, and you read of pastors abusing the people entrusted to their care, and you see how racial injustice continues to plague us in various forms, and, and you look out, and you're hungry for change, and you don't see it, and so you're left empty. We drink from broken cisterns. We eat bread that is stale and unsatisfying. We turn to idols to either satisfy or distract us from the hunger and thirst that we feel. If you can relate to any of that, I'm so glad you're here because Jesus speaks a sweet word of blessing to our aching and longing hearts in this beatitude. He says to those of us who hunger and thirst, he says, although you feel empty and famished right now, you are blessed and you will be satisfied with an eternal feast of righteousness. If you're sick of your own sin and your own inner chaos, if you are sick of how messed up the world is, you are in the right place. Because the Jesus that we have been worshiping and we're hearing from now blesses hungry sinners.
So let's unpack this beatitude by asking two questions. All right, if you're a note taker, we're asking two questions this morning. Question one, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? What does it mean? What does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Question two, why are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness blessed by God? And that that should cover it. So first, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Second, why are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness blessed by God? All right, question one, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? So Jesus says, in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, who hunger and thirst. Jesus is taking this, this common human feeling of, of hunger and thirst, this, this common, every, every single one of us experiences this, and he connects it to the kingdom of God. Now, especially in the ancient Jewish world, or really just ancient peoples, they knew what true hunger and thirst we're like a lot of people in our world today know what true hunger and true thirst feels like most of us do not we, we do not know what what this this feels like it's difficult for us to relate famines and starvation were common and, and are common around the world but were definitely common so Jesus's first audience would have been able to to really feel the weight of what he's saying these people they knew of hunger that is so intense that you would do or give anything to satisfy. There are stories from from uh, First Kings. I, I thought about reading them. Uh, probably not going to. I want to encourage you to go back. I believe it's First Kings. I'm not. I'll send it out to you. I'll email it to you later. There's a section in First Kings where it talks about a famine and what the people did to survive in the famine. Sometimes the Bible is not family friendly. Just uh, <laughs> yeah, Miss Jenny knows. She's like, oh yeah. Um, but hunger and thirst—it's—it's it's innate to us. To hunger is to be human. To thirst is—is is to be human. Without without hunger and thirst, we we would not search for the resources that we need to live. They prompt us to survive. They prompt us to keep living. And Jesus, He takes these physical cravings and appetites, and He applies them to the life of the heart. Hungering and thirsting in a spiritual sense refers to a deep, intense longing for, in this case, righteousness. To hunger and to thirst, it's a deep, inner, spiritual longing of the soul. It's, it's, the, it's soul craving. It's like Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then Psalm 63, based on a song we sang this morning. Or, sorry, the song we sang this morning is based on Psalm 63. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Man, that would be something. Um, Psalm 63. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, because of the tenses of hunger and thirst that are used in the original Greek, we can even say that this spiritual yearning is, is constant. It is a perpetual longing that, that will not cease until righteousness is experienced and seen. So the one who longs for righteousness is like a starving man longing for his next piece of bread. 
hunger for righteousness then reveals something about us. A hunger for righteousness reveals that like a starving man who craves his next piece of bread, those of us who hunger for righteousness recognize that we do not currently have it. We do not possess it. We do not naturally produce it. We have to hunger and thirst for it. We're not hungry when we're full, obviously. We're we're, we're hungry when our stomachs are empty. And so by, by nature of our morality, it is too weak. By nature, our morality is not good or consistent enough to satisfy us. By nature, we are not righteous. We long to do what is right, but we're left empty. We long to see righteousness done in the world, and yet we don't see it. We are hungry for it. So, so we hunger, we thirst, we have this deep inner spiritual longing. And, and so, so, okay, so hunger and thirst. But what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? We need to think about what the word righteousness means here. And, and there are four options that, that interpreters typically give. Uh, the first is imputed righteousness. Now, now, not very many scholars land and think that this is what this means, but essentially justification, that, that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us at the moment of faith. Um, that, that's one way to think about righteousness, but, but not the likely use here. Uh, and a second option that righteousness, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, means that we hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, for his justice to be done in the world. So we see injustice, and we want to see God bring his justice to bear in those cases of injustice in the world. A third option is, is looking toward the end of all things. So this future revealing of God's righteousness, this eschatological righteousness, where in the end, our salvation will come to completion and all things will be set right by Christ. And then then finally, one more option, personal righteousness, covenant faithfulness, growing in holiness. And and I'm going to look at a couple of these. First, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness long to practice personal righteousness they want to do the right thing okay they 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 want their lives to align with god's word and with god's will they want to act justly they want to act mercifully they want to act lovingly in the world ultimately this is a longing to be free from sin to be full of the righteousness of god so that our lives perfectly reflect the perfect righteousness of our God, and so that all that remains in us is his righteousness. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, we long to practice personal righteousness, to be holy in our actions. But second, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness long to experience and see righteousness spread through the world. So we don't just want to see righteousness within our own hearts, we want to see righteousness in the world. It means those who hunger and thirst for righteousness want to see righteousness in the world. They, want to, they long for justice. They long for peace. They long to see relief for the poor and for the oppressed. They despise exploitation. They want to see people who harm others brought to justice. They want to see, for example, the end of abortion, legal or otherwise. They, they want to see the end of racism, the end of child abuse, and the end of sex trafficking. They have a desire for all things that are wrong with the world to be set 
right and they're hungry for it. They are thirsting for it. It's a deep desire of their hearts. But we could sum up both of these and say that this longing for righteousness is a longing to be like Jesus and to live in his kingdom. Now, would you describe your desires for righteousness and justice as a deep hunger and thirst of your soul? When you think about personal holiness, putting sin to death, pursuing Christ and putting on Christ, is that a desire that is so deep it could be compared to hunger and thirst? Do you lament injustice in the world? And do you desire to see God's righteousness spread to every corner of this earth in such a way that it could be compared to deep hunger and thirst? Are you starving for righteousness and justice? Or are you apathetic to your growth in Christ? Are you, are you apathetic about what's happening in the world? Do you ignore those in our city and the world who suffer most? What causes us to stop hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Because I think at minimum we could all say that there have been times in our lives where, no, we don't hunger for it. We could take it or leave it. It'd be nice to have it. But we don't feel like if we didn't have it, we would die. Why? A couple things. First, we feel full. You know? You don't feel hungry. You feel full. Because you're trying to satisfy yourself with sin. And you partake. You eat. And you feel full. And so you don't, you don't crave righteousness. You, you, don't, you don't desire it as much as you used to. You definitely don't desire it as deeply as you have in the past because you feel full. Secondly, because you're distracted. You, you, you ever have, especially if you have kids, it's not time to eat. We have one kid like this. If you know us, you know who it is. We have one kid that is always hungry. Always hungry, okay? So there are times when he should not be eating, okay, <laughs> right? And we have to help him with that. He should not be eating. Uh, we have to distract him from his hunger. We, ha we have to get him playing a really fun game. We have to, you know, go outside with him. We have to make him laugh. Sometimes, literally, whenever he's, he's crying for food, I'll just, like, start tickling him, you know, and just get him laughing, and then he'll just go off and play with something else. I'll distract him from that feeling of hunger that he has because it's like, dude, you just ate two breakfasts, you know? Like, you can't have a third. Um, we do that to ourselves. We start to hunger and thirst for personal righteousness. We see a news article and we hate what we see, but it makes us sad and we get uncomfortable with that feeling, so we turn it away. We distract ourselves. We numb ourselves with Netflix and with sports, two things I love. We, we become self-absorbed 
to the point that we actually stop desiring God and his vision for the world because we don't think about it anymore. We're on to other things. We're distracted. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that we desire more than anything else. We have this deep hunger of the soul for God's vision of the world and for God's vision for our lives to come to pass. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is our prayer. Okay, so second question then. If hungering and thirsting for righteousness means desiring God's way for the world to come to pass both in our hearts and in the actual world, why is it that those who are hungering for this vision, hungering for God's kingdom, hungering for righteousness, why is it those who hunger, why do they receive blessing? Why, why are they blessed by God? First, because a hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied by God. All right, we've, we've already said that we do not lack the inner resources to satisfy our, our hunger and desire for justice and righteousness. We cannot bring it to pass on our own. It's impossible. We don't have the resources. And yet we're still hungry for it. Well, the reason a person who is still hungry is blessed is because someone is going to bring him relief for his hunger. And we have this hope here. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It's passive. It's something that's happening to them. They will be satisfied by someone else. This blessing is gospel. Those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness will not attain it through their own attempts to please God or through their own attempts to make the world right. We don't have the power. We don't have the resources. Now, how are we even prone to do that? You know, you actually, so now we're talking about people who actually do have the right hunger. You're hungering and you're thirsting for righteousness, for justice, for God himself. Now, how are we prone to satisfy these, these longings in our own power? Here's one way. We seek revenge. We, we seek to right wrongs in the wrong way. We see injustice and then we respond in an unhealthy and wrong way. And this is what grieves me so much about how polarized our society is right now and why Christians are falling prey to it. I want you to think about this example really quickly. And I am going to go here. Think about the rioters after George, George Floyd's death for just a second. All those riots that happened across the country. Now here's what we would say. I think most of us would agree with this. That rioting will not satisfy a hunger for righteousness. It will not. Rioting will not satisfy a hunger for righteousness. And so, I think most of us see that. And we say, riots are wrong. Riots are wrong. And I agree. <laughs> but how many of us thought, thought of it this way? The ones who are rioting are hungry and they're thirsty for justice and for righteousness. And so if you encounter someone in this city, for instance, who is not in the church, 
and you're in a conversation about something like this, the way the world is, and they're upset, instead of making sure you point out exactly why they're wrong, what if you took this approach of the Beatitudes and you saw in them a hunger and thirst for righteousness and instead of making sure that you're not associated with them, you show them Jesus. You affirm their hunger. You affirm their thirst for justice and righteousness to be done in the world. And you say, I'm hungry for the same thing. I want that too. And I found it in Christ. I found it in Jesus. What if instead of alienating people, because currently, maybe their worldview is very far from God, we turn to them and we say, because of your appetite for righteousness, you are very near to the kingdom of God. You are near. So we're prone to satisfy our hunger for righteousness by seeking revenge. Big example through the riots. But second, and we probably experience this more clearly, through self-righteousness. We have this inner longing and hunger and desire for righteousness. And then instead of recognizing that we are empty and coming to the bread of life, we, we try to provide it for ourselves. But here's what we need to remember. We are like infants. We are like infants when it comes to us to our spiritual nourishment. We are incapable of finding the food and drink that our souls most need. However, however, those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness are guaranteed to have their fill of it because of what Jesus says here. Their cravings, their appetite will be satisfied because God himself will satisfy their longing. And not only will they receive Christ's righteousness, but they will be slowly transformed into possessing a righteousness of their own. What a, what a wonderful promise here that Jesus offers. You're hungry, you will be fed. You're thirsty, you will receive drink. You will be satisfied. You want righteousness, it will be yours. It will be yours. And here's the good news of this beatitude. God sets the bar very low. Do you notice this? That all that is required to receive eternal blessing and peace and, and a fill of righteousness, a feast of righteousness, is an appetite? What does he say here? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Not blessed are those who find and achieve righteousness. He doesn't even say blessed are those who are righteous here. Just blessed are those who hunger and thirst. An appetite for righteousness is enough for Jesus. It was like we had dinner with the poors last night. We were hanging out at their house, and... Uh, they prepared all this food for us. Josh was out grilling, almost burned himself a hundred times. You know, it was super hot. But <laughs> he was grilling and all, the, all this food. He had, they had appetizers for us, like special sauces. They prepared drinks for us. Like, you know, we were treated well. Like we brought like a salad or something, you know. It was, we didn't contribute. 
very much to the meal. They, they prepared all of it for us. They provided entertainment for our kids, you know? I mean, they're, they're just playing around their house, had stuff for us. Did they ask us to pay for it? And some of you are like, hey, please tell me so that I don't accept an invitation to the poorest if they did. Of course they didn't. Of course they didn't. They didn't require payment. Isaiah 41, 17. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue is parched with thirst, I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. This is the gospel of this beatitude. Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Think, think of the thief on the cross dying next to Jesus. And he looks over to Jesus. And he just says, remember me. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus turns back to him and he says, today you'll be with me. What did that guy do to deserve that? Jesus is, is entering paradise and he looks over at this guy who just says, hey, will you remember me? And he's like, you'll be with me. What did he do? He's, all he's doing in that moment is dying. A shameful death. He was hungry. That's what, he, that's what he offered. That's what he brought to the table. He brought nothing but a hunger for a righteousness that he knew he did not possess. Our hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied because of the one who died next to this thief and then one day rose again. Our longing for righteousness is found in Jesus. Paul said, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our longing for righteousness will be satisfied because the only truly righteous one suffered injustice and was counted as unrighteous in our place on the cross. And then the righteousness and justice we long for walked out of a tomb. And so Jesus' death and resurrection, it guarantees our fill of righteousness. And because he is returning again, we have hope that one day he will set all things right. So those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed by God because it is through their hunger and thirst that they will find righteousness in and from God by turning to Christ. One last, one last reason here. Why are, why are the hungry and thirsty blessed by God? Because a hunger and thirst for righteousness is the path to the good life. You see, through the power of the Spirit, we become actors in the drama of God's mission. And that just means that we not only receive righteousness from Christ, but we actually become righteous and work for righteousness in the places that we live and work. And this works on two levels— the personal level and the societal level. So first, the good life is characterized by a hunger for righteousness because when we hunger for righteousness, we hunger for the life that God desires for us, a life of inner purity, a life of just actions, and a life of mercy and peace. Apart from personal righteousness, 
Can our city see the real Jesus in us? What good is it if we confess right doctrine about Jesus, but then we look nothing like him in the way that we live? What does it matter? We confess faith in Jesus. We don't live like we follow Jesus. There's an article I read last year that uh, was very critical of Christianity, especially evangelical churches. The writer identified a crisis in Christianity, and that crisis is that churches and Christians barely resemble the founder of their faith. We can believe and confess very true things about Jesus, but in the end, we will not live as he intends if we do not care to grow in righteousness. And so that's why we should pursue spiritual disciplines to continue growing in righteousness so that we can live out the righteousness of God in our personal lives. But this also works on the societal level too. The good life is characterized by a hunger for righteousness because when we, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we desire God's justice to touch the injustice of the world. I think I said this last year sometime, but if Tupelo doesn't get better because our church exists, then we're missing a key part of the mission of our church. For example, will Tupelo know of us what the Greco-Roman cities knew of the early church? Historian Rodney Stark, this is what he said about early Christians. Christianity revitalized life in the Greco-Roman cities by providing new norms and new kinds of social relationships able to cope with many urgent urban problems. To cities filled with homeless and the impoverished, Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new expanded family. To cities torn by violent strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. Do we hunger and thirst to see those who are hurting most in our city receive healing? Do we hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, for the impoverished, for the imprisoned, for the homeless in our city? As, as we hunger and thirst for righteousness and, and we find a taste of it in the cross of Christ, we long for more. We're still hungry until we receive the fullness of righteousness on that great day when Christ returns. But as we're here, we must long to bring the bread of life and living water to other beggars like us. God will sometimes take our deepest sin, our, our past, and he will forgive us for it. He will set us on a new path. He will renew our hearts, and he will empower us to play a role in bringing justice to the same dark, barren places we were once in. God makes the unrighteous righteous so that we can express his righteousness in an unjust world. And this is what the good life is. A life of repentance, forgiveness, mercy, and love for the hurting. We have found satisfaction for our hunger. We have tasted water that will never fail to satisfy. 
So the good life is lived taking this living water to others like us who are dying of thirst. Bonhoeffer summed up his his section on, on this beatitude by saying, happy are they who have the promise that they shall be filled for the righteousness they receive will be no empty promise, but real satisfaction. They will eat the bread of life in the messianic feast. They are blessed because they already enjoy this bread here and now. For in their hunger, they are sustained by the bread of life, the bliss 